Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. It is new every Thursday at podcastone.com. And of course, iTunes. Welcome. Hope you guys are well. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Yep, that music you hear that opens the podcast. A shout out to Mark Slaughter. Mark is the guy behind that music. He did that for me, which is very nice of him. And um, he's got a record out right now called Halfway There. So check that out. His uh, latest solo record. Have a listen and uh, check out Mark's new album. Just figured I'd give him a little shout out. Just a little, little acknowledgement because a lot of times people ask me, hey, who does that music on any of my radio shows that are, you know, kind of the opening themes. And I wanted to make sure that Mark got a little props. He's been doing that for a while. That uh, That song we've been using has been going for a while. Hey, just a reminder, you guys, check it out. I've got something incredibly cool. I've got my own Amazon store now. And to go to it, all you got to do is go to Amazon.com slash shop slash my name, Eddie Trunk. And there you'll see some stuff that I handpicked for you guys to check out that may be of interest to you. And when you're there, take a look at some of the highlight items. If you want to buy them, great. If you don't, that's okay. And you can just go from that page onto Amazon and shop and buy whatever the heck you were going to buy anyway. But I appreciate if you start with my page, and it couldn't be easier, please bookmark it, amazon.com slash shop slash Eddie Trunk. Check out my store. Check out the highlight items. Buy if you'd like, and if you don't want to buy, just continue shopping through my page. Start there. It helps, and I appreciate it. So anyway, we're here for another week. Lots to get caught up on. A couple interviews for you this week, and we'll get into it uh, right away because it's a it's a busy week, but I need to, I guess, get the, the whole overview of what's gone on in the last week because it's a lot, and in some ways it kind of ties into what we're going to have as our guest this week on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. 
which, of course, as I always tell you, the interviews that you hear here, the great majority of them, they originate from my radio show. Again, you can hear me live every day, Monday through Friday, on Sirius XM Channel 106. That is volume. And my show, Trunk Nation, airs there 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time live. It replays 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern every night. And you can also get it on demand if you are a Sirius XM subscriber. So be sure to listen, call in, talk rock with me, and hear interviews as they happen. And even call in and talk to the artists. Sometimes here on the interviews, you uh, you hear me taking calls. That's because, again, these interviews originate from my radio show. And you can get involved and engage if you are a Sirius XM subscriber or become one and check out my show daily on volume. Also do a sixth radio show there every week on Mondays on Channel 39. Got my syndicated FM show, which is on about 30 radio stations across the country and is also streaming. So there's a lot of different ways to connect with the various programs that I do every week, including, of course, this podcast. So it's been a uh, a very, very busy week since I talked to you last, and that trend is going to continue for the next couple of months. I've got some new projects coming up, going to take me on the road, take me out to a lot of music festivals, and of course, the daily radio show and everything else. I'll give you a little overview of the last week. Uh, starting with last Thursday, which of course, this podcast posts every Thursday, so uh, last week when you heard the the last new podcast, if you listened on post day, that was the day that Guns N' Roses played their private show for Sirius XM and Sirius XM listeners, and that took place at the Apollo Theater in Harlem. And I ended up doing two radio shows live from the theater that day. I broadcast my volume show live from the theater and also broadcast the pre-show and post-show from the Apollo Theater on Guns N' Roses Radio, which was a, a temporary channel that Sirius XM was running to celebrate this private concert. I got to the Apollo Theater last Thursday at noon, and I ended up leaving there around 2 o'clock in the morning. It was a very long day. Did both radio shows. Watched Guns N' Roses uh, sound check for about an hour and a half. And that was really cool to watch. And they, what's interesting is they they played a lot of stuff in soundcheck. They didn't end up actually doing in the uh, during the concert. If you had if you have Sirius XM and you heard that live concert, you know that it went for about three hours and fifteen minutes. So it was quite a long, long performance as well by Guns. But they were doing like James Brown covers and stuff like that during their their. Uh, their sound check, but they didn't end up working any of that into the set, which I was kind of surprised about. They played pretty much everything else, though. So I got to watch the sound check. I saw some of the guys in the band. I did my volume show. And then in the middle of doing my volume show uh, last Thursday, I signed on at 2 o'clock. I'm up and running, yapping away, doing my, my bit. And three minutes into the show, Ross Zapin, who is a, uh executive at SiriusXM and an old friend, comes walking towards me with his phone up, and I was like, tell me something's happening and the Guns N' Roses show isn't happening or what's going on here. And he, while I'm talking live on the radio, he holds the phone up, and it was the announcement on TMZ that Chester Bennington had just been found dead. And needless to say, talk about having to kind of do a 180 
in the middle of a live radio broadcast. I mean, nobody saw that coming. I certainly didn't. And here I am all of a sudden faced with going from this celebratory sort of situation with Guns N' Roses and getting ready for their performance to now all of a sudden talking about a guy, another guy committing suicide by hanging. And it was really like out of left field. And I didn't, if you listen to the broadcast, and there were a lot of people that said nice things about how I handled it, and I appreciate it. I didn't want to run with it immediately because, listen, it was on TMZ. And TMZ, as I said, if again, if you listen to the radio show when it happened, TMZ kind of has a tabloidy sort of vibe about it, right? People kind of look at it as the TV version of, what was the National Enquirer or whatever. But here's the simple truth. To my knowledge and from what I've seen, TMZ is right many, many more times than they aren't, like 95% of the time. But still, I held back a little bit, and then sadly, as we all know by now, confirmation came, as shocking as shocking can be, that Chester Bennington takes his own life on Chris Cornell's birthday in the same way Chris Cornell killed himself. And I dealt with all that during the radio show at the time, and we did the best we could with it, given the circumstances and the fact that we were really there to do the Guns N' Roses show. It was completely a bizarre moment. And my thing with Chester Bennington is I had him on my radio show, my volume show on Sirius XM, in February of this year. I did not know him well. We would run into each other from time to time at festivals and events. And I, oh, just a quick hello. Always very cordial. He knew who I was. I, of course, knew who he was. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I was a huge Linkin Park fan. That would be disingenuous. Respected the band. Respected what they did musically. Respected how popular they were. But I'd be lying if I told you it was an important band to me as a fan. But Chester was always a really nice guy. and. I always had nice exchanges, very brief. Hey, nice to see you. And that, that was the extent of it. A couple of years ago at Rocklahoma, they were supposed to play and the show got rained out. Saw him there for a little bit. I did see and talk to him when he was fronting Stone Temple Pilots. He was a mass, STP was his favorite band. And uh, he was a huge Wyland fan. So I got to see him with STP. And then in February of this year, I was asked if I wanted to have him on my show on volume to talk about the new record, which at the time was a very polarizing record because the latest Linkin Park record, as many of you know, if you follow that genre of music and that band, was very, very pop. They made an out-and-out pop record. So I was honestly a little hesitant about having Chester in because the music Linkin Park made with this latest record and the song that he was promoting at the time, the full record hadn't come out. The song was called heavy. It was anything, but it was a pop song. And I was a little hesitant. Cause I'm like, man, my audience is going to hate this. But that, that being said, I'm like, well, he's always been a nice guy. It'd be, let, let me take the angle of talking to him about how he's going to handle that and how they've made such a departure here. And, um, you know, Take that angle, and and he's a nice enough guy that he can handle that. And my experience led me to believe it would be fine. It would maybe be a compelling conversation. 
So he came in on that day in February of this year, and we had a great conversation. I wish I had more time with him. A guy like that on a press run, they're running around to a million places doing a million things, but I had a good 20 minutes with him. And it was a good conversation. He seemed like a, you know, really engaged, ready to take on the world, ready and fully aware that there was going to be some backlash to the kind of music that he made for this record and was was up for it. And I I, I mean, seemed great spirits, great mood. We had a great, great conversation, as you are about to hear. So it was needless to say. Absolutely shocking to me and everybody else when last Thursday it was discovered that Chester had taken his own life. And there is a lot of feelings about this, and I can't blame anybody for feeling one way or the other. It is sad. It's tragic. The man had six children. He had a rough childhood. But um Forget what I saw online somewhere. Was some article about you know, the music business is so tough. Listen, you can say whatever you want about this situation, but please don't blame it on the music industry. I mean, that's just utterly ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. Yes, the music industry is rough. I've been in it for 34 years. It's got its ups and downs like any job. It's got its heartbreak, it's got its crooks, it's got its backstabbers, it's got its jealousy, it's got its thieves, it's got all of that. But, you know, Chester Bennington's problems were not driven by the music industry. That's ludicrous. The man was flying on private planes to his own shows. He made it, (laughs) you know. I mean, uh, money and... and, uh, Success in the music business was not something that eluded him. So you can't blame it on that by any stretch. The guy had his problems with substances and and a a rough upbringing and, and all of those sort of things. And again, I did not know him that well, but from what I've been able to ta- find out since, it, it, it to people very close to him, this was not as shocking as it was to others. So very, very uh, sad news again compounded by the fact that it happened on the birthday of Chris Cornell, who Chester Bennington spoke at his funeral service and sang. I mean, that alone has to tell you how unbelievably mentally ill he was to be able to do what he did. It's extremely sad, and my condolences to his family and his friends and his fans. So with that being said, Katie mentioned to me, who Katie Rosario produces this podcast for me, she mentioned to me, because we have this bank of interviews that I bring you every week, and she said, hey, you know, I've been sitting on the Chester Bennington audio, you never posted that, maybe it would be a good time to run that for people to hear, so they can hear one of the last interviews Chester Bennington did. And I haven't listened to this since we did it back in February of this year. But again, my recollection of it was a very fun, positive conversation. It was in person in the studio on my volume show. So remembering and celebrating Chester Bennington, one of his final interviews that was on the promotional run for the latest Linkin Park record, at the time we did this, only the single had come out. 
and you can get a sense of, uh, you know, where he was at and some of the things that he had to say in, in his final uh, his final run in support of a record. So that, like I said, it's about 20 minutes. So that's coming up first. And then we're going to back that one up with a second interview, also a little bit related to tragedy, and that would be a, around Chris Cornell. Because in interview number two, and this was also done around the same time, this interview is also a few months old now, but I had uh, Taylor and Ben, Ben Phillips, Taylor Momsen, of course, from The Pretty Reckless in the studio. And this interview was done just as, as The Pretty Reckless were getting ready to go out on tour, a tour that had them opening for Soundgarden and Taylor Mumpson's hero, Chris Cornell. So Taylor, who is, uh, and, and Ben, who have both become friends and live in New York City, they reached out to me. They were literally leaving that day to start their tour. And, and the excitement they had to start their tour with Soundgarden. And they said, hey, we're going to swing by your radio show. And I said, please come up. And we had a great conversation as they got ready to go on the road in this fantasy situation for Taylor that she got to open shows finally for her hero band, as you are about to hear. And now we all know that on this tour, the last show Chris Cornell ever performed in his life, the Pretty Reckless opened that show. So... These are the two interviews I'm bringing you this week. One, a recent interview with Chester Bennington, which will end up being one of his last. And the other with Taylor and Ben from The Pretty Reckless as they were getting ready to go out on the road to open for Soundgarden in what ended up being the final shows for Soundgarden. Or, or, and they opened the final show. Taylor was so devastated by Chris Cornell's suicide that she actually ended up, after this interview, canceling, you know, after, after Chris committed suicide, ended up canceling a couple of her own headline shows because she was so distraught over it. She's now gotten a little better, and she's out there on the road doing her thing. But she was devastated by Chris Cornell's death and seeing Chris in his last moments before he took his own life and being the opening act on the last Soundgarden show. So we can listen to these interviews and um, maybe read some things into them. Maybe not. I don't know, but I thought it was kind of, um, it's also kind of ironic because Katie, the other interview we had when I said, well, we put, got to put another interview with this because it's a little bit short was the pretty reckless. I said, well, you know what? Tack that together. Let's do them both in the same week because they both have some tragedy surrounding them and uh, connect in that way. They're both about newer rock bands, not certainly new, but newer. And they were both done around the same time, which would have been a few months ago. So we'll do Chester Bennington first. And then bring you Taylor and Ben from The Pretty Reckless. Neither of these interviews have been posted here on the podcast in the past. But like I said, they both do originate from my SiriusXM show on volume. Just to wrap up the Guns N' Roses thing, they ended up playing for three hours and 20 minutes at the Apollo. 
It was a mega set. Great seeing him in such a small place. I watched the show literally from like 10 feet away the entire night. It's a long show. And, uh, you know, I'm of the belief that a band really shouldn't play more than two hours, two hours and 15 minutes. I think after a while, no matter who it is, fatigue can kind of set in. But that's just me. Guns N' Roses, say what you want about what they're charging for tickets. They are certainly bringing their money's worth to the fans because they do play a very long set. Thought the band sounded great. I agree, and I've heard from many that the live broadcast did not sound great. But I can tell you that in the room it sounded really, really good, and it did not sound like it sounded on the radio. Live remotes and live broadcasts of audio and concerts can be a little tricky over the air. And they may be remixing that, might represent it at another time. But I enjoyed, uh, had a great honor of actually introducing Guns N' Roses at their show last Thursday. I actually walked out on the Apollo stage and introed the band. Huge thrill that was. Posted some video and photos of that on my social media outlets. So that was really cool. And then from there, I was in Lima, Ohio last weekend. Hosted a first-time festival called Loud in Lima. Like most festivals, some first-year growing pains for sure. Not that well attended, but the people that run it were very nice. And I think if they make some adjustments and changes, it could certainly be a success. There's great rock fans in Ohio. It's just that there are so many festivals now that you've really got to have stuff buttoned up. you really got to have a rock-solid lineup. You really have to have rock solid marketing because people just have way, way, way too many choices now as far as live concerts to go see. But it was great to be out there. I appreciate them having me host it. We'll keep an eye on that. Hopefully they'll do it again. And if they do, hopefully I'd love to be a part of it and come out to see everybody. Thank you to all the great fans I met in Lima, Ohio and Dayton, Ohio and in that area of the country. Came back on Sunday, went to see one of my favorite non-heavy rock bands, Soul Asylum. They played in New Jersey Sunday night. The band was great. Crowd was not great. I am seeing a trend that's also very strange where bands are being booked into venues way too big than they should be playing. And that's just a bummer because it destroys the vibe. It destroys everything in the room. It's just not a good vibe in the audience. Seeing that more and more, again, so many venues, they just want to fill dates. But it's just not a good vibe or a good look for anybody. The band was great. Love Soul Asylum. I had Dave Perner on my show last week on volume. I'll bring you that interview somewhere down the line. I think that man is a genius when it comes to writing songs. So that's where we're at. And uh, I... Also had a writer from the Wall Street Journal on my radio show this past week talking about vinyl. And, you know, how this big vinyl craze is going on. And he wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal that I thought was pretty interesting because people always give me shit about being such a fan of CDs and a lover of CDs, which I still think are by far the best format. Don't have to flip them. Don't wear out. No scratches, no needles, no pops. Still digital, versatile, compact, still physical go on and on and on. But hey, if you're on the vinyl kick, that's great. But one of the things that I hear from people who are on the vinyl kick is it sounds so much better. And this writer from the Wall Street Journal, Neil Shaw, revealed and discovered that about 80% of the new vinyl you buy, 
the source that it comes from is the same source they make the CD from. So I found that very interesting. And maybe I'll bring you that interview somewhere down the line. Anyway, um, one other thing. What else can I tell you? Oh, yeah, there's a... uh, I'm going to go, by the time you guys hear this, I will have seen Queen with Adam Lambert. I'm recording this open on the Tuesday before it airs. I'm seeing Queen in New Jersey on Wednesday. You'll hear this on Thursday. I have uh, a major new project on the TV side coming that will be announced probably by the time you hear this, if not a little bit after, that I'll be able to share details about with you. Probably won't air till early next year, but a cool project that I'm working on that will have me out there at a variety of uh, music festivals. So that's pretty cool. And another TV thing in the works, too. So fingers crossed all of this stuff pans out. I thank you all for your support. As usual, eddytrunk.com is the website. Music news, you can email me, merch store, T-shirts. Now's the time, summertime, get a new T-shirt. Trunk Nation stuff. And uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, where I would be the most active. Although I do post personally on all of them. And I think that covers what I want to get out to you guys for this week. For the most part, let's get a break. Let's get back. We'll go to Chester Bennington. And we'll uh, listen to Chester and, and again, what would be one of his final interviews leading into this new record before we we got the tragic news a week ago. And then we'll segue into talking to Taylor and Ben of The Pretty Reckless as they get ready to leave to go on tour with Soundgarden, and we all know how that ended now in retrospect. That's what's coming up on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Don't move. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, Simply Safe, you guys, a home security system is another fantastic way to keep your family safe. I mean, think about it. There's so many things you do to keep your family safe, right? I mean, whatever it is you do, wherever you go, you keep an eye out. We went to uh, Universal in Orlando recently. My kids got on the rides. You make sure they're buckled up nice and tight. You keep an eye on them. Those are all the things you do, everything you do. You lock your doors at night. I mean, you got to stay safe. Well, Simply Safe is another way to help do that. Each Simply Safe system is a security arsenal. It's expertly engineered to protect your home. You can set up the system yourself in under an hour. There's no drilling or hardwiring required, and you can save hundreds on installation fees. Simply Safe has a super fast wireless connection to authorities and police dispatch, 24-7 alarm monitoring, and it's just $14.99 a month. No hidden fees, no annoying gotchas. That's it. No long-term contracts either. Simply Safe will never lock you in like other alarm companies do. You can cancel at any time. You can also get a 60-day risk-free trial to try the system out for your home and see if you like it. You got to check out Simply Safe to protect your family. Right now, go to simplysafe.com. That's S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E.com slash dad, D-A-D. If you order today, you'll get an extra 10% off plus a free keychain remote and free shipping. That's Simply Safe, spelled S I M P L I S A F E dot com slash dad, D A D. 
Hey, have you heard? Podcast One has a whole bunch of awesome new shows filled with big names that are waiting for you on our brand new amazing app. This one's a game changer. There's Norman Lear talking to Amy Poehler, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Charles Barkley. Geffen Playhouse Unscripted with Brian Cranston, Josh Gad, and soon Neil Patrick Harris. Nice. OC Real Housewife, Heather Dubrow's World, Lady Gang's Three Mimosa Podcast with Leah Michelle, Nelly Furtado, L. King, and more. Plus every episode of The Adam Carolla Show, Dan Patrick, and Rich Eisen. And if you like what happens in the ring, we've got Steve Austin, Chris Jericho, Chael Sonnen, and a whole bunch more. So download our one of a kind new app and see for yourself. Go to the App Store, Google Play, or download it now at podcastone.com. Hey, I've been telling you guys about TrueCar for a while now. A lot of people don't know that using TrueCar can also help you buy a used car. There's over 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available from TrueCar certified dealers nationwide. So if you're looking to buy new or used, you can get upfront pricing information that empowers discounts off the list price for used cars. Better buying experience. Through the True Car Certified Dealer Network, there's over 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available from, True, available from True Car Certified Dealers nationwide. And you'll see what other people paid for the car you want so you can know what a fair price is and feel confident. With True Car, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can enjoy a quick, easy buying experience. Using True Car, you can easily find the new or used car you want. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, Visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. All right, as I mentioned on the Eddie Trunk Podcast, a double dip, two interviews for you. First up, it is the late Chester Bennington, who we discovered a week ago took his own life with a suicide. This was Chester when he was in my studio in February to promote the latest Lincoln Park record. Coming to you now for the first time on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Have a listen to this, and then we will come back a little bit later on our second interview with Taylor and Ben of The Pretty Reckless. So you're making the rounds, man. Some new music from Lincoln Park yeah. that has just come out, a single called Heavy, yeah. which is, um, listen, Lincoln Park is always, I mean, the signature when I think of your band is that you've always pushed the boundaries. You've always, every record has been a different experience. Yeah. Uh, hunting Party being heavier record maybe and yeah. more electronic, more this, more that. This song to me is unapologetically an out-and-out pop song. Would Absolutely. you agree? Absolutely. Talk about that decision because were you worried at all that the rock base of Linkin Park were going to be like, oh, no. Honestly, like we're we, everything we do is polarizing to our to a fan base or to music uh, people who listen to, to the band at all. And um, I mean, from the very beginning, when we released One Step Closer, it was like, you know, it wasn't hard enough, or it was like, you know, it it was kind of poppy even for a heavy song. And then, you know, Somewhere I Belong comes out, and it's like, what happened to Linkin Park? And then Breaking the Habit comes out, and it's like, this is a great pop song. Like. This isn't my band anymore. It's always the case with us. So, you know, I like to look at our um, our musical experience as a journey, not a destination. And I feel like it's it's something that, you know, it's a it's we like to visit, you know, Hard Rock Island, and then we like to visit Pop <laughs> Island, and then we like to go to you know Hip Hop Island, and then Electronica. You know, like we we and sometimes you know. Um, when we make our photo album of all of it, we'll put all of them together in the same, in the same page. Right. You know what I mean? And like, that's kind of how we look at it. And, um, you know, 
with this with this record, it was like, look, if we make a couple pop songs and then like go try to put like just like put them with some hard rock songs, like I don't understand why we want to make hard rock songs just for that. Like we literally were honestly only working off of conversations. So is this whole record life. in this lane of what we're hearing on Heavy for the most I would, part? I would say that this is probably the poppiest song on the record. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's I mean, catchy as hell. It it, it's a great head, song, and, yeah. and I mean, the way we started writing was just based on conversations about our lives and and what was going on with us as people and as friends. And why did you would... feel now was a good time, like to open up like that to that level? Like, I mean, because I've, I've I know and I've read other interviews you've done about this record already, where you said this is kind of the most open and revealing and personal you've you've ever written. Yeah. Why now? Why did you feel comfortable doing that now? Well, I felt like, you know, the more I think one, we're super comfortable with who we are as people um, and we're willing to take risks and we're willing to do whatever we feel like doing because we feel confident and competent to be able to do it in a way that we feel is good. And um, and I think that, you know, for us, like we don't we didn't set out to write in a specific style. What we want, what we set out to do is write honestly about ourselves and our lives and our experience and I think the only parameter we really set on ourselves creatively was let's work on the vocals and, you know, meaning the lyrics and melodies first. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we'd talk about our, we'd have these conversations about our lives. It would spark a, a, a chord progression from Mike or Brad. And all of a sudden, like, next thing you know, we're singing a line and then, like, we're expanding on that. And by the end of the day, we had the songs written. And, then we build a track to support those vocals. And a lot of these vocals just, this was what, you know, these were the kinds of songs that we were writing, like these really emotional, beautiful, melody, hooky songs. And um, and so we built the tracks that way. It wasn't like we got drawn, like in the past, like I'm always drawn towards whatever is sparking my interest or hits me emotionally first. And I'm sure that you can relate to this, but like when I hear like a heavy riff, that's badass like i'm just like yeah, yeah. you know like uh, of course i'll yeah. do that because i like kicking you know i want to yeah. break things you know yeah, and yeah. uh so what did you hear that inspired this that did you did you hear music today that inspired you to go into this direction no it wasn't like a directional thing it was like you know even with like a lot of the songs from the hunting party or um you know any of the other records like there's piano parts on there right right um well, those were like added like after we had already kind of like written the heavy riffs for the song right. to kind of give it a dynamic. In this case, it was like we were talking and as we'd be talking, like Mike would start playing like a chord progression on the on the keyboard or on the piano or Brad would play the guitar and the melodies would come and the lyrics would come. And then we f- literally just wrote the whole song based on like, can we sing this acapella on a, with a with a piano and a guitar? Mm-hmm. And then we built the tracks that way, and it was we just never were compelled to like start shredding, you yeah. know. It just was like let's build these tracks so that the vocals and the melodies and the lyrics are really on top, and like that's the song. And you, you know? talked a lot about vocals, which of course you're the primary singer. With Mike sings as well some stuff, yeah. but you have a guest vocalist on this track. Heavy. Her yeah. name is it pronounced Kiara? Kiara. Kiara. Yeah. How yeah. did she come into the picture? Well, when we were writing the song, we wrote it with uh, Julia Michaels and and a gentleman named Justin, and they kind of write as a team. And um, Julia has a really cool, like, super emotional voice, and like, um, 
when we were writing it, like we were kind of just like, you know, bouncing off of each other as we were going through the process. And it's, and it dawned on us like we should, maybe we, it'd be cool if we had a female feature on this song. And we actually originally asked her to do it, but she felt more com- comfortable being in the background, like writing. And so that didn't change our desire to have a female artist on. So, um, we were talking to, um, uh, one of our friends who's a, a popular DJ and, um, you know, he was taught, he came in and listened to some songs and he said, look, you know, there's this girl named Kiara. She's a big Linkin Park fan. She's got an awesome voice and we're blowing up. Like we're going to blow up her song and she's going to be like, she's going to be huge. And I think it'd be a perfect fit. So we just kind of reached out to her and invited her to the studio. She came in, listened to some music, um, really felt comfortable that she could, you know, participate and it would feel comfortable for her. And we got her in the studio and like got her in the booth and started singing the song. Um, and honestly, I think it took it to a whole whole other level because it's not just me singing about my own feelings. It's like me singing about my feelings, her singing about her feelings. It's really a song about for anybody. And, um, it's not like a duet where we're like lovers, like, you know, talking to each other. This is just two people going through their life. Um, and, and having these certain, these certain feelings about it. And, uh, I I don't know. I, I think it's a great track and it's the first time we've ever had you know, a female feature on any of our songs. Do you, do you find that generally the bulk of your fan base, which is so passionate about Lincoln park and the things that you do and has, and, and like you said yourself, there are people that are going to, no matter what you do, somebody's always going to chirp about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the nature of the world we're in. But the, the, the bulk of the Lincoln park fan base do they appreciate and enjoy the ride that you take them on with every record and all the different directions you go in? Do you think? I, I think they do. I mean, um, we've always kind of thrown curveballs at them, whether it was, you know, going really raw with Minutes to Midnight, and we wrote a lot of really pop alternative songs for that record, uh, whether it was, uh, you know, doing a mashup with uh, Collision Course with Jay Z, um, even with um, Reanimation. I mean, we had tons of hip hop artists on Reanimation. Um, so, you know, for us, the pop element's always been there for us. And I think that a lot of our fans have gotten used to the fact that they're just kind of, they have, they know what they think they can expect from us. Right. But in reality, like they're not super surprised anymore. Like when we just come out of left field and like, you know, I mean, this isn't even in the same like stadium, you know what I mean? Right. So right. Right. This is like, you know, one of my friends that I was playing some of their songs for goes, you know, it sounds like Lincoln Park, but it's not what I expected. Like if I expected Lincoln Park to be, you know, he had his hand like right in front of his face, like right here, like he pointed out at a star like in space. He's like, that's where <laughs> this is, you know, and and I appreciated that. He's like, but I like it. And um, the songs are good. And so that that's exciting to me because I like trying new things and, and literally being in Lincoln Park is like being in a new band every time you make a record. Yeah. And this, what has been the reaction, the early reaction from, from your fans so far that have heard heavy and what is, I mean, your, your, your airplay base for music is predominantly at more modern yeah. leaning rock radio. Yeah. So, so if they em- embrace this, are they playing this song? Will they play it? Have, what's been the feedback so far? You know, so far the feedback's been extremely positive. I mean, radio's playing it like everywhere. We've been picked up on. So we're not going to get a remix with like blazing guitars over the top of it for no, rock radio, no, because <laughs> no. you know? that's the um, other move. You, you know, know uh, I definitely I'm not sure how where this would fit on like you know like on like active rock stations, obviously. Yeah. But um, but <laughs> Your like label guy shaking his head no 
Yeah, it ain't going to happen. Uh, <laughs> but which you're is cool fine. with that. I'm I totally mean, fine and with that's, that. And that's a really ballsy move for you guys because Linkin Park is such a big band that if you would have delivered even just an average song but it had that sound to it, you know you're going to get added to every station the first week. But you're willing to do what's in your heart. I appreciate that, You man. know, um, yeah, I mean, dude, like, I think that creativity is far too big to be placed in a box, especially for... Us like I've said from the very beginning of our career that we could play on any stage with any band or any artist and it would make sense. You know, we can go play a tour with Metallica and it would feel natural. We could go on tour with Jay-Z and it would feel natural. Like, I don't think you can go from one side to the other very, very easily if if you were just like a rock, like a strictly a rock band. And um, or strictly a pop band. And so, um, you know, I feel like our whole goal in our career has been to like break the boundaries of genre and kind of like, or at least kind of gray them and confuse them a little bit. And I think that that is something that you can really see that influence. You can really see in a lot of artists these days, like, you know, is it pop? Is it alternative? Is it, what is it, you know? And, um, and for us, like we, really i mean we've been added to pop we've been added to rhythm we've been added to yeah, hot ac we've been uh, added to alternative, alternative yeah uh, a couple rock stations so it's like it's like it's insane like i <laughs> it's crazy like i don't know nothing like this has ever happened for us before where like it's just like all this all the platforms have embraced the song yeah um and uh it's just bonkers yeah know. yeah well uh now give us the I, unfortunately we have very limited time with you because i know you're making the rounds but the album comes out the full album comes out when in may may 19th may yeah. 19th and what's do you have touring plans yet announced or do you yeah uh you can go to lincolnpark.com and see the latest updates on tours uh that have been confirmed so we've got a bunch of uh festival dates um coming up uh in europe and also in south america um, and there's a lot more dates to be announced. We'll be he- touring pretty heavily through all this year and through next year. Speaking sure. of festival dates, I don't even know if you know this, but I host Rocklahoma every year. And a few years ago, you guys were scheduled to play as like the Saturday night headline. And it was the rains from hell and you didn't mm. play. Do yeah. you remember that? I do. Cause, yeah. Because I remember like, I remember I was Anthrax played earlier in the day and they're old friends. I'm sitting on their bus and the bus is shaking and moving as we're riding out the rain. And I'm like, Lincoln Park ain't going to play in this. And they were like, well, their plane's in Tulsa, and I don't know if they're coming here and all that. It, we sat on the tarmac for like five hours. Yeah. yeah. It was, um, yeah, it was one of those like, man, I wish we could do this. Like, can we? Yeah, we're not that far, so let's just wait it out. And, uh, you know, for us, like, obviously safety's first. Like, we yeah. want everybody, not only the band to be safe and the crew to be safe, but we also want our fans to be safe, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, one quick thing before I, I know you got to run out of here. Um, Stone Temple Pilots, I saw you sing with them a couple times. I yeah. thought you did a great job. Thank you. And I know that that was something that you were really, very proud of because a lot of people had told me even backstage that day that, that STP for you growing up was one of your all-time favorite bands. They are. Uh, they always will be one of my all-time favorite bands, even just being able to i've shared a lot of great moments with all those guys um from touring with them on family values tour uh you know i became good friends with, with and you Scott, made music with them as well and i got to make music with robert and dean and, yeah. and eric and uh you know it was just one of those things where um it, it's kind of funny but i remember like right after lincoln park um had started kind of taking off 
uh, like Scott got in some some trouble and it wasn't you know there was like an unsure future and I was like man they should have called me like four years ago I'd have totally like done this but um, and you knew Scott right I do I did know Scott yeah we were friends yeah and um, there was never any anything weird between the two of us it was just kind of he didn't understand what I you know why I want to do it but there wasn't like any like negative feelings towards each other. Right. Um, I just wanted to jump on the chance of going out and playing these songs, uh, and, and record some music with these guys and, um, and go out and give fans of the band, you know, an opportunity to see these songs played like badass, you know? And your reason to, for moving away from it is just the, trying to do both bands would be too much i would love to do both and um that wasn't really the issue the issue was more with my family like i i would go out and do stuff with lincoln park i'd come home and go in the studio with sdp I'd come home you know go back on the road and then come home and go on the road with sdp right um and i'd also broken my leg like really really bad and that's where i was like you know what like if any one thing goes off like the whole system like my whole world kind of gets thrown into like chaos um, so with the broken leg and the being gone all the time, it was just, it was too much. It was too much at once. And, um, you know, I didn't, I mean, I broke my leg. I couldn't even walk. Like I was in a wheelchair and I had to go play shows and wow. I was like, you know, I better start walking. So I literally just got up and started walking on this leg I destroyed. And so, um, every night I was putting my foot in a bucket of ice and then my kids were crying when I'd leave the house and stuff. So, um, I realized, you know, I think this might, I may have, I may have bitten off a little bit more than I can chew. <laughs> Which, you know, they're giving me the kill sign. I, I, I my, the worst part of my job is when I got to stop talking to people, but, um, that's become, as you know, the norm though. More people, most people have more than one band. It used to be like this weird thing. Like, oh my God, the guy has another band. Now it's actually weird if you only have one band. Most people have at least one other. So, I, I mean, I would honestly, like, I, I still go out and play like a lot of, sh- I'm doing a show with Robert and Dean. Uh, with the band called Kings of Chaos. Right, I know you did that recently as and, well, yeah. And I just went on tour with Robert, and, you know, I mean, it's like... Um, so I still... I, I love I love playing music, man. It's my favorite thing in the world. Like, dude, to get up on stage and be able to sing with Corey Taylor yeah. and, and play shows with Billy Gibbons and, like, you know, and uh, Robin Zander and, uh, you know... Uh, Billy Duffy and Steve Stevens and Robert DeLeo and Matt Sorum and Dave Kushner and Dave Navarro and, you know, uh, Joey Castillo and, I mean, like, Scott Schreiner. Like, these are all great artists, you know what I mean? And sometimes Slash comes out and sometimes, you know, Gilby Clark comes out. And it's like, I just sit, me and Corey, we're funny when we play together because we're just like, dude! Dude, you know, and I'm like, I know. That's Corey. Like, you know, and we're just like, like dude, this is, this is fucking insane. And I'm like, I know. Like, we get to do this, and we're like jumping up and down like little girls. You know, like yeah. And it's just, it's hilarious, I love, man. I love because Corey, Corey's a little younger than me, but he's enamored with the whole '80s stuff, which I, I own that scene. You know, so whenever I'm, I'm with Corey, Corey will come up and he goes. Is that Warren Demartini from Rat over there? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! You have to introduce me, Trunka. You it's know, so so, and I love that side of him. I love that he's such a fan. It's so fun, and it's and so I I just really enjoy doing those shows, man. And like, you know, I'm a rock guy, and I and I'm I've got you know a big love for a lot of different styles of music, but really my roots are in rock and roll, punk rock, you know, early hip hop, and 
And so for me to get up on stage and like have Billy Gibbons, like, yeah. dude, he's funny because he gives gifts like every day. <laughs> and so like I'd show up and be like, I got this for you. You know, and it's like he hands me like a harmon- like a fully functioning harmonica that's like the size of like it's like an inch long. You know, it's got four notes. And, he- and I'm like, oh, thanks. And the next day he's like, oh, I was thinking about you today. You know, and he hands me like chocolates. You yeah. know, and it's like this is incredible. Like, you know, he's the most generous guy ever. Like, right. very thoughtful and really fun to play with. Listen, man, they're gonna kill me if I don't let you go. Great to talk to you, <laughs> Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park. Great to see you, man. Yeah, you too, man. Well, there you have it. Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park, and I apologize for the uh, the phone ringing in the background, folks. <laughs> it never it never fails to happen when I open up the microphone that I forget to mute the phone and the phone starts ringing in the background. It always happens. It always happens. But anyway, uh, that was Chester Bennington, as you just heard, and that interview again took place in February. And we, of course, learned the shocking news last week of Chester taking his own life. And again, our condolences to the family, friends, and fans of Chester Bennington and, of course, the band Lincoln Park. Okay, coming up next, we'll talk to Taylor Momsen and, of course, Ben as well from the Pretty Reckless Ben Phillips. Stick around. That's right around the corner. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Well, I've been telling you guys about Blue Apron for a while. It really is great. It is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. I use it. I get it. My kids love it. That box comes to the uh, door with the ice packs in it. Everything is fresh and crisp and ready to go. Blue Apron is uh, an incredible service. It makes home cooking accessible to everyone. It's affordable, sustaining food systems, setting the highest standards, building a community of home chefs. Like I said, my kids, they love getting the menus or the uh, recipe list, pulling it out, getting into it. Everything else goes in the fridge. You've got you've got your food for the week. Blue Apron does a great job with establishing partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, ranchers. All this stuff is very sourced the right way, sustainably. Standards developed with uh, responsibly raised animals, things like that, all the good stuff. And cooking at home, well, it builds strong family bonds. Research shows that Blue Apron families cook nearly three times more often, and it's it's way cheaper than going out to dinner, and in a lot of cases, way better quality food. Some of the upcoming meals include seared chicken and creamy pasta salad with summer squash and sweet potatoes, creamy shrimp rolls with quick pickles and sweet potato wedges, just a few of the great things you can get at Blue Apron. The stuff tastes great. It's easy. You get to keep the recipes. If you want to do them again, it's great. It's affordable. Talking about like 10 bucks per person per meal. It's flexible. You can change the plan anytime you want. Fresh food, it is awesome. Check out this week's menu. Get your first three meals free. You hear that? Three meals free with free shipping. Go to blueapron.com slash Eddie Trunk. That would be me, E-D-D-I-E. T-R-U-N-K. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. BlueApron.com slash Eddie Trunk. That's BlueApron.com slash E-D-D-I-E-T-R-U-N-K. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. 
There are 120,000 unsolved murder cases in America. It was the next day that I found out from my parents when it happened, that my sister was killed. Each one is called a cold case. Sometimes you have to look really closely to find the evidence. Damn, I, I killed her. Damn it, I killed her. Cold Case Files, the podcast. Garcia is walking into the home of a real monster. I was nervous. I realized what kind of person I was dealing with. It's a goosebump moment. Download new episodes every Tuesday on the Podcast One app or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com. Hey guys, I'm not sure if you've seen this show the first time around, but if you didn't, you got to get caught up on it. You can do so on demand and uh, on the A&E app. The show I'm talking about is Leah Remini, Scientology and the Aftermath. If you missed the first season, I watched every episode. It's incredible. You can get that now on demand and on the A&E app. And here's the uh, big news. A&E's Emmy-nominated groundbreaking docuseries, Leah Remini, Scientology and the Aftermath, returns for a second season on August 15th with 10 all-new episodes. The show follows Leah Remini along with high-level former Scientology executives and church members as they delve deep into shocking stories of abuse, heartbreak, and harassment experienced by those who have left the church and spoken publicly, publicly about their experiences. This season, Leah Remini continues her quest to give a voice to victims of the Church of Scientology. It really is an incredible series. It it dives deep. You can make your own assessment after watching it. Leah Remini really, really takes it on. Turning survivors into fighters, revealing truths, and seeking justice. Again, you can see that first season if you haven't, and I, you really should. On demand and uh, on the A&E app. And get ready for season two of Leah Remini, Scientology and the Aftermath on A&E. On August 15th, it's a must-watch. Ten new episodes coming. This This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Okay, back with the Eddie Trunk Podcast here on on PodcastOne.com and iTunes. By By the way, I hope you guys are enjoying the new Podcast One app. It is killer. Very cool, very interactive. Be sure to check that out. Second interview this week on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. As I mentioned, Ben Phillips and Taylor Momsen in my studio right around the same time a few months ago. And this was from my radio show as these guys are extremely excited to be getting ready to go out and tour on shows that would have them opening for Soundgarden. And we all know now in retrospect how that ended. So have a listen to this on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Where's the family? I thought there was like a whole... I thought there was They're a the whole statue of liberty. You got beat group for the statue of liberty. Oh, that's actually not why. I'll tell you why. I thought you, Taylor said your parents were coming they were, and they and were, were all I excited to them. see their son do some radio. I, I, and I went out with them the uh, the other night, and I got to tell you, just like they embarrass you in high school, that can that can continue into older <laughs> older age. So, uh, <laughs> where do your parents live? They live in Maine. 
Okay, so yeah. they came to see you guys before you went off on tour? But no, they were that? down here on a vacation, and it just happened to be that I was in town. So I, the, have, the, I have no obligations, but I tried. The Eddie Trunk Show could not pull them away from the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I thought I had some I would, juice. I wouldn't let them. I, After 34 years, that's all I get? Come on. I was looking forward to meeting I the Phillips when Taylor told me. Um, anyway, good to see you guys. Thank you for coming in. No, thanks for having us. Yeah. Good to see you, man. Yeah, I know. It's been, uh, well, you came through, you were doing the rounds here for when the record first came out i know and we said hi real quick but you were uh i think you'd just come back from europe or something at that point sure sure if you say so yeah, <laughs> you, definitely, you definitely uh had come through at that point and we said hello record's been out a little while and uh doing well everybody's happy everybody's happy yes, everybody seems to be happy yeah. yeah and now you're getting ready for another big tour right getting ready to to head out we are we start actually, tomorrow we leave tonight so, tonight yeah tonight. right we're doing your show and then cruising on off to Boston. Picking up the bus in Jersey. Yeah. I was thinking about this the other day, and I've told Taylor this story when we first met, actually, a number of years ago, is that um, the very, very first time I saw the band was you guys were opening for Marilyn Manson in New Jersey. So that's got to be yeah. first record, right? Taylor always laughs about that. I'm not going to embarrass you with the story again, because I know a, that's an embarrassing story. It was a tough story. show. It was a, it was it was a, a tough brutal show. show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought it was fine, but I'll never forget when I met you the first time. You're like, you were there. I knew you were there, and I, it was not a good show. It was, it was a it was a brutal one. Yeah. What was it like being on tour with Manson, though? Beyond that show, was it a good experience? It was certainly a learning experience. I think uh, it was a lot of fun, though. The front of it was tough because I don't think an audience was expecting our band at all. But by the time we became friends with him, or you in particular. Yeah. Then it became a really great time. And by the end of it, we by the end of it, it was, to... it was like, well, what, is this over? Is this the last yeah. show? Let's keep doing this. It was one of those. It was a grower. <laughs> that's 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 deep water to be pulled into, though, on a, on an in the early touring of a band. Yes, because I've I've spent some hours with him in his lair just on one night after a show. So I can't imagine being on tour in the cold, dark room and the iPod <laughs> and shuffle and what goes on. Um, the fact that you're still standing to to t- talk about it is pretty amazing in and of itself. But I, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did the crowds come around? They did towards the end. I think in the very beginning, everyone was a little surprised that we were the band opening for Manson. I think we towards, were surprised. I, we, that we were, I, the band I, yeah, we were too. <laughs> so I think as as the tour went on, we became a little more comfortable, and therefore I think relaxed into it a little bit more, and the fans felt that, and were a little more. Uh, Recipro- reciprocating reciprocal what's yeah. the right word sure. what's Sounds whatever good. Basically one of those thro- words not throwing shit at you basically <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, I think there was only one bottle thrown so it was yeah. fine <laughs> did people physically did you, did you ever go into situations where you had people actually throwing stuff at you no not Manson no 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 uh, uh, but on any tours if you a lot, had people- well a lot of bras yeah <laughs> Good Bras? Things. Good yeah. things. That's things. a good thing. Okay. Good things. All right. But nothing trying to harm you. No. Anyway. How did you guys, I mean, you, you guys have created quite a partnership here as far as writers and with the Pretty Reckless and the band. How did you guys first meet, uh, Ben? We're talking to Ben Phillips and Taylor Momsen from the Pretty Reckless. They just walked in and we're just hanging out, getting right into it. But where did you first develop this partnership from? Well, I was a failed musician. <laughs> And uh, in what I, way? You, in you what had way, a couple bands um, that didn't happen. Or? A lot of people will talk to, about why I was a failed musician. I have, I have personality disorders, uh, but I was uh, I was writing songs, uh, and and I kind of for for uh, with a friend of mine named Cato who was a producer. So he was making all these records with bands, and he would call me for songs, and I kind of stopped 
doing it. I, I I wasn't into writing for other people kind of thing. And then he met her, and he said, "You have to meet this this girl. She's well better than what you're assuming anything is." And I was like, oh, I "Especially don't. at that age, because how old are you? You're probably in your teens, right? Yeah, like 14. 15, 14. Yeah. 14, yeah. right? So you're like, yeah, I'm going to meet a 14 year old girl. And do I, it I was yeah. super not. I was like, I don't want. He's, he's not like, into it. And, he, and Kato was like, no, 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 tr- just trust me on that. I know you're not going to get. I was living in Harlem. And he's like, I know you're not going to get. You're not going to leave your little lair in Harlem to use lair." And come down and meet this girl, but I'm telling you, she's really, really good, and she's heard your band. He he, he had played something he'd done with me. Your failed band. Well, one of my <laughs> failed things. And she was like, "Well, I like that. Who's that? Like, let's. Well, what's playing, that guy doing? She was looking. She was looking to form a band. Well, because I, I was a singer songwriter, and I, I didn't want to do it myself. Because as the the phrase goes that I've said many, many times is, "Who wants to be Elvis when you can be the Beatles? Like, who wants to do this by yourself? I want a you know a family around." Which you. is kind of a stolen Beatles tale. It's a, a big it Beatles. Is. It's a, obviously a huge Beatles fan. Where they said a, that Elvis looks so lonely up there, and they got to do it together. But mm-hmm. anyway, so I, uh, he he talked me into it, and uh, and I went down and and. I guess ta- we, we, we met first, and, we met and then first. we went to the studio and just I played you some stuff. You you had a song that you'd half written, and I kind of finished it, and then we went in and did it. And she walked up to me. I hadn't heard her sing yet. I hadn't heard you sing. We no, just did a song. Yeah. And I'm sitting in the control room, and Taylor goes and sings, and I and I turn to Kim. I'm like, she's great. And he was like, Yeah, I told you this is why you're here, and whatever. And so <laughs> then she she kind of maneuvered things to put it together as a band so she took guys I'd played with and yeah basically and I basically went hey I'm writing your songs and I'm your new singer yeah I'm your and, new singer uh, here, here. <laughs> you're, you're not saying no to this I'm not saying no. and then <laughs> and it, almost 10 years later here we are 10 years later and it still is working so that's a so Taylor at 14 you had a song you had written some stuff already musically I had written lots of stuff I had a tell entire, them the story well I mean it's kind of a long story but I, I mean I had an entire record done and basically greenlit by Interscope Records. And, as a uh, solo artist? Mm-hmm. As a solo artist, and I scrapped it, because I was not, uh, it, was, it wasn't It was the direction that I actually wanted to go into. Was it pop, um, or, or what was it? Was it was uh, edgy pop rock, I guess is Well, what you had written it, it but I'd, you wrote it, but the... But I'd written it with... Musicians m- were more pop yeah, oriented. pop oriented yes. production. Um, <laughs> it was done, like done, 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 yeah, done. And uh, I scrapped that record. That didn't bode well for my then <laughs> relationship with Interscope. Uh, they weren't so psyched about that. Uh, and so basically, I I, I, I killed that record and, said and it I'm never came this out. Band it never came out. Uh, did, I think you... some of it got leaked online, like, songs here and there, but uh, not stuff that I'm we're ever going to play. I but mean, before you go forward on this story, because it's fascinating, were you able to, when you said you weren't going to, like basically, what did you say? You wanted it scrapped, or did you have a, a lawyer come in and say, how do you put the, how do you put the kill song on, on it? Yeah, yeah, how did you do? I, it? Uh, I went well. Uh, I was there. Yeah, you, you were want, there you at this point. Better, you want to? Yeah, you're the story. <laughs> Taylor has great. You sick Ben after. Well, Taylor. <laughs> yeah, no, well. Taylor has has a, a a really good team behind her who all kind of believe in her in the same way as that she kind of has this vision thing. So, so they she calls up her managers and says, "Listen, I'm, I'm starting a band. <laughs> I'm not doing this. So I'm I'm starting a band and." I'll let you know when that's together and something. And so, but you got to help me get it. rid of this. So her managers <laughs> make this go away. Her, make this yeah, go away. Her, her managers, as they often do, <laughs> made it go away. They made it go away. Um, and inter- mostly, most, mostly, they mostly made it go away. And then we spent the next year and a half making a record and putting this band together. And then 
the first record eh, kind of came out in kinda America, kind of didn't, didn't, but did well around the world. So it, it kind of. So we, we spent a lot of time overseas yeah. on the first record, and then with the second record going to hell, we signed with a new label. And uh, I, think I don't know how that yeah, would happen. There, I don't, we're not exactly sure. What, I don't know what I'm actually legally allowed to say either. So <laughs> you know, there's some gray lines there, yeah. but. Uh, we uh, <laughs> yeah. it's the first time I've talked about this, so I'm not actually sure what I'm allowed to say. Uh, well, okay, um, well, all right. Well, I don't want to get you in trouble, but I find it fascinating that. This well, no, is... it's a good story because the other day Sheryl Crow was on Stern, yeah. or we heard a repeat of it, or something, yeah. and she was talking about She's... how she had this record that I think she did with Hugh Padgham or whatever, a big expensive A and M record, and she ditched like it. And I was like, four hundred fifty thousand dollars. And I was like, that, you did the exact same thing, and nobody knows that. No, you've never told these stories. No. There, there are re- there are artists that have that like um, I don't know if you guys know this that, that Brian Adams before like cuts like a knife and all that stuff he had a record that was a dance record I did not yeah. know that See, I'm either. filled with useless information I did like not this. know yeah. that but I used to like Bob Clearmountain a lot the oh, guy Bob Clearmountain's amazing as a yeah, producer and so and I he I, makes the best sounding. I records. thought I was familiar with Brian Adams, but, but Brian, not, no, well this is like you know, but but he wasn't able to put the full kibosh on it like Taylor. And our team was so it because came out. it came out, and not only did it come out, it became a hit. It became a hit in certain circles as in the dance community. And uh, I worked; I used to grow. I grew up working in a record store, so we would have people come in, and they uh, these DJs would come in, and they they'd ask for this Brian Adams dance record, and we would be like, "What?" When we could only get it on import, <laughs> it was on A and M Records, but we could only get it on import. But we would sell it for like fifteen dollars for a single. Because people would come in and get it. The song is called Let Me Take You Dancing. His vocal is sped up. He sounds like Mickey Mouse. It's really sped right, up. Right, right. Yeah, and yeah. it was a big... Taylor's like, yeah, yeah, they yeah. do that to you too, Taylor. Well, they didn't, but I, you know, my voice has obviously changed since I was 14, so I listened to the old stuff and I sound like Mickey Mouse. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's kind of... But Taylor, your story, I mean, and I've ta- I, I've mentioned this, I, I think it's incredible that you had the... The, such a vision for what you wanted to do with this band and do a band, you know, coming out of acting, coming out of all the things to to hang your hat. You know, Ice T was just in here a few minutes ago, and Ice T was talking about, you know, he's got his band Body Count, and uh, he was he was talking about, you know, he's in Law and Order and he's been doing it for however long, and he said, yeah, he goes. Music sure as hell ain't paid a motherfucking bills. Law and order is, you know. He just yeah, said that. Yeah. We saw him on the way out. Yeah, he basically said the same I'm, thing. And yeah. I'm a big fan of him. And he, uh, yeah, he basically said the same he thing told to me. A, he told a funny story about how his guitar player act, uh, was, you know, the IRS came after him at the taxes or something, and the, the IRS was like, "This sure as hell ain't paying your guitar players, man." <laughs> you know, being in body count, that you actually just let it go. But um, you know, it, it's. Especially in today's music industry, I mean, it takes a lot of stones to turn your back on all that stuff and say, I'm going to do a band, and then go one step further. You got a big solo deal with Interscope, a major label, and then say, no, nah, I ain't doing that either. I mean, where does that come from in you? How is that in, that, that you're so confident that, no, this is how it's got to be? I think it came from, I've been in this in the entertainment industry in one way or the other since I was so, so young that... I've been put into situations that I didn't necessarily have control over and music to me is so personal and so just a huge rock and roll fan. Like I, so like, I worship rock and roll. So to to 
to do anything sideways or in, have anything to do with it, to listen to other people's opinions or to you know I'll, I'll I'll take suggestions, but at the end of the day, it's my it's my word, it's my way or the highway. Like I've bent so many times in my career for other things that to do that with rock and roll and with music and something that is so personal and I love so so much it's it's past a love it's it's my identity it's who i am it's like it's the thing that keeps me sane is writing songs and playing music so without that and if i bend in any sort of capacity then i just feel like shit about myself that's not you anymore it's not me anymore and then uh, then what's the point then i might as well go act on some television show again and play some character so if it's not me there is no purpose in doing it so i you know you can't bend and and it takes a lot of guts and a lot of balls and a lot of fighting and a lot, a lot of, of a lot of fighting um fighting with who fighting with everyone 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 from 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 the industry to well even it's 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 all it's I and mean, we all watch it so it's it's from you know the people closest to you that's more of, of a conversation than a fight yeah. but then the, it spans out to publicists or whoever. And what are they fighting about? Are they, fi- are they fighting to try to change you? Are they fighting to try to pull you into worlds you don't want to go in? Are there still people in your eye, imagine, saying you really should start acting and doing that. It's going to help the band and that sort of thing, I would imagine. It's all of those things. So, yeah. yeah and it's, to fit you in a box. Fit me, and that's the thing is, this band, we realize it. I mean, we don't really fit in any sort of box of, you know, the modern paradigm of music. So we make kind of strange records and we make them for ourselves. And if they connect to other people in some way, that's amazing. But we'd be making these records for ourselves even if no one else was hearing them. So we really don't think, like, when we go into write or to record, we really don't think of the outside world at all. I mean, it's it's strictly what, what what can I press play on and listen to myself and be satisfied with and be happy and proud about. And if, if that's not the case, then what's the point? But in today's <laughs> music industry, what you just said is absolutely the only reason why you should make records. Because you don't know what's going to happen. It is such a crapshoot. It is such a wild card. As, as somebody that's been in the business for, for way longer than you've been alive, I can tell you that it's so different now. And, and mm-hmm. I tell artists all the time when I talk to them, and they're, well, we're gonna, what, what do you think we should do? I, and, and I tell them the same thing all the time. Like, do what's in your heart and what you want to do and let the chips fall where they may because – if you think anybody's got a crystal ball on what's going on in the business no, it's a now, crap shoot anyway. <laughs> total crapshoot. But you guys have been lucky that you've carved out, I mean, unbelievable growth with each record. As I said, I saw the band from as early as that Manson uh, show to recent times. And I, was, uh, I, I host Rock Home every year, so I'll see you out there in, in prior yeah, very yeah, soon. And we, awesome. we've, sat, we've sat at festivals before and had great long talks about yes, rock and have. stuff. <laughs> it's been awesome. But, but I mean, yeah, if it's not, if it, that's what I get, and that's what I think connected me first time I saw your band, is that you can tell it's coming from a real place. Like, this is really in your blood. You can tell when people are going through the motions, trying to catch a wave, trying to tailor what they're doing to fit what's happening. But you can also tell when it's really, really just deep in your soul. And you you guys all have that. Well, thank you. I mean, we try. As, as I said, we don't fit in a box, so we're trying to create our own box. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we're succeeding at that, but we're attempting it. <laughs> well, I would say you're succeeding. I mean, you've seen growth with every record and tour, right? And better touring opportunities. Oh, yeah. Every festival, Absolutely, you're higher yeah. up on the bill. and But where you're in it, I don't. It, it never... It doesn't feel like that when you're in it. It only feels like that when you look back on it. Yeah. 
you know, because when you're doing it, you're kind we'll of in look the... forward on it. We well, have like a our, if you looked at our touring that's coming up, like it's Rock and the Range with Metallica, it shows with Soundgarden, it's Lollapalooza, it's Reading mm-hmm. Leeds, it's Rock and Rio. I mean, these are things that you would dream of, but they don't seem, you know, it's different once you're once you once you're once it becomes your job and not just this, you know, idealistic thing that you see in your head in your bedroom it it, it changes your perspective you're really a trying to bit. steal time to write that's that's yeah. how i feel our lives are We're, do you guys write on the road we don't we don't and don't. that's the thing it's like i i feel like i blinked and i turned 23 and i started this at 14 <laughs> that is the thing that touring does it's We're am- busy on it's, it's, it's you're busy on working. tour i mean it's amazing to get to play for fans it's amazing to get to play music and call that your job i mean it's uh, it's uh, mind-blowing but it, it is you, touring is very much a bubble you, you know no matter how big the audience is or uh, how small it is or whatever it is you kind of get sucked into this world that isn't real life and then you get off tour and you're kind of left with this hole and you try to figure out how to fill that void that you know any anytime i think artists say this a lot but anytime you yeah you stole that from eric clapton yeah i stole that from eric clapton (laughs) but anytime you well anytime you uh you accomplish some sort of big feat whether that be a tour or writing a song or finishing a record or releasing a record or any sort of big artistic uh accomplishment when you're done with that you're left kind of empty because you put so much of all of yourself into that and you have to then try to figure out where you are now and who you are and, and where to go from there. That's where a lot of the drugs and alcohol come from. That's, well, that's, that's, what, that's, that's why the, the cliche... That's, well, yeah, that's where the cliche is, is where do you fill that hole in that void? And then a lot of people fill it with drugs and alcohol, and I attempt to fill it with music. I'm not going to say I'm always successful at that, but it's, you know, it's a, it, it becomes a challenge to balance writing real life and touring and making it all kind of work cohesively so we're trying to switch it up a little bit on this uh cycle and not do the grueling two-year without never, off the, never off the road two-year touring cycle without creating anything new because you you really start to lose your mind as an artist without making something new yeah i i saw when i when you first came in just when we first started talking i said you, you didn't even really remember that I I ran into you in the lobby here, and you you guys had just come back from whatever tour you were on. And when I went up to say hi to you, you're like, "Don't come near me. I'm sick. I just came off the road. I can't even talk." <laughs> yeah. And then you had just been like, I could tell it was just like you were just like, even you know, even at your age, it took its toll on you. It's it's a lot of hard work. I mean, it's 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 hard to complain about because if you don't tour, you know, from an outside perspective, it's the greatest job on the planet. Even right. from the inside perspective, it's the greatest job on the planet. So it's hard to complain about it. But, the, at the, but same the, time, the worldwide thing has really, and I don't know if this pertains to every band, but I know lots of bands, even the smaller bands or bigger bands, bigger than us, smaller than us, whatever it is, the worldwide thing has become much more of a market. So like if you, like the Eagles or I think South, like a lot of these bands are like that are from the 80s or 90s, whatever they are, are going to like South America for the first time and going to Europe, like the Eagles and they just, are they, did they do their first European tour or something like that? But when they were the Eagles in the 70s, they never went to Europe. And so we're, you're flying everywhere. The travels become insane. So it's just this. See, I, I have, I think a lot, you're seeing a lot of bands touring and playing places in the world. They would never have gone to playing in, in situations they never never would have played, mm-hmm. whether they be corporate gigs, whether they be cruises, whether they be casinos, mm-hmm. private shows. And I think that's all just a byproduct of the fact that, unfortunately, people don't buy music like they used it's to. So all of these guys from the 70s and 80s who are making all this money from catalog sales and whatever – 
all of a sudden they're like, oh shit, my royalty, whoa, what's going on? Mm -hmm. And then you realize, okay, now everybody's working America, everybody's working England. Okay, I'll maybe it sounds good to get on a cruise ship and do so, you know, yeah, where yeah. they yeah. always rule that out or go to South America or you know go wherever. So I, I think that's why the whole touring world has gotten so much Bigger. Truly global. Yeah, that, global. That be, yeah. As a result of that, we're talking to Taylor Momsen and uh, Ben Phillips of The Pretty Reckless. The new album is out now. It's called Who Are You Selling For? They are leaving for their tour tonight. There's a bunch of dates. Everybody listening around the country, Canada, wherever you're listening, go to, is it theprettyreckless.com? Or it is. It's prettyreckless.com. Find a date near you. Where's the first show? Tomorrow? Tomorrow in Boston. In Boston. What's the venue? Uh, I think the, we're doing a makeup show. Yeah, for we had to from, from I think probably the last time you saw when me when I was sick. sick. Yeah, uh, uh, I think it's the paradise. The paradise. All right, cool. So if you're in Boston, you'll get the band tomorrow, and then the rest of the way, just check online to find a date coming to you. We'll also take some call. You guys okay taking some calls from the audience? Yeah, totally. All right, coming back with more with the pretty reckless right after this. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, so I just went on my uh, iPhone and downloaded the brand new Podcast One app. You got to check it out. It's awesome. There's some great, great features about it. It makes it so much fun and easy to listen to any of the podcasts that you enjoy, including, of course, the Eddie Trunk Podcast. There's no other podcast app like this. Get the all new Podcast One app. You can do so at the App Store or Google Play. And find out everything about your favorite shows, get more content, articles, episodes, comment, connect, 360 video. You can watch shows in uh, virtual reality. There's so much cool stuff. It's so cool. What are you doing? You got to get it. Listen, watch, engage the all-new Podcast One app. Get it now in the App Store or on Google Play. HBO's Game of Thrones is back for its seventh season. Winter is finally here, and so are the White Walkers. Will the Seven Kingdoms of Westeros survive the threat from the North, or will they fall in the looming war for the Iron Throne? After you're done watching an episode, join the discussion here on the Game of Thrones After Show on Podcast One. Every week, our hosts discuss each episode in detail, from shocking twists to fan theories, as the series chronicles the violent struggle among the realm's noble families for ultimate power. Join the fray every week on PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. You guys have a great appreciation of classic rock. I know, Taylor, you texted me after you heard I was or, or listened to my interview with Bob Ezrin just because yeah. you're such a huge Pink Floyd fan. Of course. And the Ezrin connection to Pink Floyd. Was a fantastic interview, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, it was great. It was fun to go up there and do that. But um, where did you get, like, being that you are in your early 20s still, like, where did this whole world of classic rock was it your family how did you get into it uh yeah it started with my dad i mean if you walk into my parents house literally my dad's section of his house his office is a museum of rock and roll paraphernalia she's being mild so um. it will stop the bus will pull up you know on the road so we've all seen it's a museum you go in and there's, I mean, there's Matt, Warhol I mean, where does he live 
in uh, Maryland. In Maryland. So, yeah. so you go like was he in was he in a musician or in the business at all or just a super fan? Uh, he had bands, never uh, professionally, but he played when he was younger. He roadied for Aerosmith for a bit. I mean, he's a huge, massive, massive Beatles fan, massive Rolling Stones fan. I mean, I'm technically kind of named after Mick Jagger. My middle name is Mikel. His name is Michael, but it's Taylor Mick. We have the same birthday. It's a huge Warhol print of Mick Jagger. As soon as you walk into the house, he's got a Roger. Gwyn, Miss McGwin signed uh, Rickenbacker. Wow. In glass cases with signed Beatles, Bob Dylan, all this stuff. It's Everything. a huge thing. So and, you know, and a massive, massive vinyl collection. So that's what I grew up on was listening to his vinyl collection. And he'd make me mix cassette tapes of all his favorite things. And so that's, that's where it started. I mean, literally the first, I'm not exaggerating when I say the first note of music I ever heard was the Beatles because it was played as I was coming home from the hospital after being born. Mm. <laughs> and so it was kind of, you know, I couldn't get away from rock and roll even if I wanted to. Luckily, right. luckily I didn't. Right, so right, it right. was it was ingrained in me at a very young age and uh, it stuck. What was your first concert? Uh, technically my first concert, I always said the White Stripes because that's the one that I remember the most But because I was a little older, but technically my first concert was Chuck Berry because I was born in St. Louis and uh, my dad took me to see Chuck Berry at his, at his bar in Blueberry Hill. Do you remember it? I remember it I, enough to remember it, but not enough to tell stories about it. I was literally probably like four or five. Right. Right. Wow. That's amazing to be able to say, especially, of course, Chuck just died, to be able to say mm-hmm. you saw Chuck Berry. Um, I mean, a lot of people have been able to say it, but at your age, to be able to say you saw Chuck Berry. Oh, yeah, it was amazing. I don't think you're going to find anybody who's 24 that can say they saw Chuck no, Berry. No, I just, I was actually just, ta- I was just talking to my dad. I was like, you have to find the, there's pictures of it. So I was like, you have to find some of these old photos of me and Chuck, because i got to see these, you know. Oh, you got to do a meet and greet, too? Not a meet and greet, but meet, you know, him on stage and me turned around. Oh, I was just saying. <laughs> One of those. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if Chuck was doing paid VIP meet and greets no, at not all. Exactly, I don't think but, he was that kind of no, guy. No, it wasn't yeah. that guy. He wasn't that kind of guy. It didn't but. seem like he'd roll with that too much. But although if you paid him up front in cash, maybe he'd do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, and, and what about you, Ben? Like, what was your your early days of music? Just what? all guitar playing, but it's the Beatles too. It was the Beatles. At fifth grade, it was it started with the Beatles, and then when I became a freshman in high school, it was Eric Clapton, and that was kind of it till. You, then start then 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 song no then song <laughs> then songwriting took over for guitar. I was a blues guitar kid like one of those kids. I got a, I got a deal when I was 15 with a little indie blues label like in the Kenny Wayne Shepherd that kind of Are you from New school. York? I'm from Brooklyn, yeah. You're was, from Brooklyn, so Brooklyn. you're 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 local. But then my family moved to Maine, so it's Maine it's Maine in New York, but yeah. Right. Um let's get a few calls if you guys don't mind. People want to say hello. Pretty Reckless getting ready to go out on tour and go to the prettyreckless.com to find a date near you. They start tomorrow night in Boston and you'll be out there for a while, right? On this run. Do you go to Europe from the US dates too? I think I saw. I looked uh, through your run. We go to Europe in August. August. Is that right? So this is festival. This is like a full tour uh, up till June and then it's about all the a bunch more festivals June, July. Do, this July. is this is festivals breaking off doing headline and yeah. opening for and which, before we yes. go to the calls, we should get this right out of the way. Yes. Because I know you are a psycho Soundgarden psycho Cornell Soundgarden. fan. Well, that's kind of what Cato, me, and Taylor all were. We declare Soundgarden as, as one of the top. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they, as misunderstood as they could have been, their their music is just un Their musicality unmatched. is so, so high. So I don't high. even, it's, it boggles my mind. And I've listened to those records endlessly. Uh, so no, it's a bucket list tour for I think all of us. Is this and, the first time you're playing with them? 
We played with them once in Quebec City to like 90,000 people, which was amazing. But uh, this will be the first kind of actual tour. How many dates do you have with them? Just a few. Uh, just a few, but they're on a lot of the festivals as so well. I think it, so. it adds up to like half the tours with Soundgarden in some way. But the question we've been wondering during the whole, all the band and stuff is what? Because before the, every show, Taylor's cranking Loud Love or Bad Motor Finger. Well, all my in the t-shirts. Are for, well, I'm cranking Soundgarden, and all my t-shirts are Soundgarden t-shirts. But that's her <laughs> psych up music. So what's she going to so do? What am I going to do? Soundgarden <laughs> at a Soundgarden show and just apologize? <laughs> so I'm so sorry. I'm playing your records real loud. Uh, I understand how you want. To keep like a professional decorum and not. But that's look, her. Th- that's but that's, that's my thing. Yeah. So right. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to apologize. No, like if, you got to. You got to do it. If you I mean, don't hear Jesus Christ pose coming out of our dressing room, we're not going on. No. So I don't know what. <laughs> Oh, my God, on the new record has a little bit of a Soundgarden sort of vibe, right? In terms of what you're going for there? It, yeah, it does. In terms it, of the uh, we, we attempt. We attempt. A, I think the, attempt. I, I listened, when I heard that for the first time, I caught a little nod to like a Jesus Christ pose sort of vibe. Sure. You know, I, I, and certainly your own song, but yeah. that sort of spirit to the song. And when we talked about, you guys talked about how musically you're all over the map. I mean, I think that's a great example of it. You have a song like that on there, and then, you know, many different directions and styles which is what you've always done there's happy stuff there's dark stuff there's ballady stuff there's you know a, a stonesy thing like the first single which was take, uh, me, down. take me down take me yeah. down which felt stonesy to me so mm-hmm. you know you've got that whole it's got to be fun to be able to work on that whole palette of, of music and not be put in a box it is i mean i think I, i've said it a billion times in interviews but i think that that's one of the things we love about rock and roll so much is that it to me at least it represents freedom I mean you have no limitations when it comes to writing if you're making rock and roll because rock and roll is everything it's the blues it's jazz it's hip hop it's funk it's pop it's country it's all those things so you you have as a writer it's so liberating to be able to go in so many directions and yet still call it rock and roll and it wasn't intentional at all I no, we, we, kind we look of, back we kind of we're unin- just <laughs> realizing we made like a classic rock record it's like the Allman Brothers the Beatles Floyd whatever it is it's all in there and classic rock to us now now is Soundgarden and Nirvana and all those kinds of things yeah. too, which is her other favorite palette of music. But when you look back on it on this record, it, no, we're, we're just now realizing what we made. And <laughs> it, takes, of, it takes time to reflect on what you've and done. And speaking of Almond Brothers, uh, Warren Haynes is on the record, right? He is. We, we got the Almond Brothers. We got the Almond Brothers. Got a brother, <laughs> a kind of a brother on there. How'd you, who, who knew Warren to reach out, or how'd you come up with that idea? Uh, well, we had the song Back to the River, and we all were sitting around with it, going, "Well, this needs a really fantastic slide." solo and as good of a guitar player as Ben no, is. No, no, no. Hey, hey. <laughs> we tell the real, we, st- the real story is we had this southern rock tune that had two sections open for a solo and I went let's get Warren Haynes. I and went, Taylor. Well, hell yeah. So Helped get Warren Haynes. So we, uh, we called him up. He said send us the song. Send me the song and uh, I'll take a listen and see what I think. And he listened to it and said, absolutely, I'd love to play on it. And, wow. and then he Warren Haynes all over it. And then he Warren Haynes all over it and elevated it to a completely uh, different level. That, that Turned song, it into a different song. Right? Different song. It's great. I'm still going back to thinking of, of you in a trailer somewhere trying to sing like Hands All Over or Jesus Christ Pose <laughs> or Fell on Black Days or, you know. Oh, I and, do. And Chris Cornell outside would be like, oh. what? 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 What was it? Have you guys actually, have you met him? I met, him, met him. I met him. A few, I met him twice. I met him once a long, long time ago at an event called 
fashion rocks uh but just handshake like a like, quick handshake and then i met him at the quebec show again a quick handshake big fan and he was off in his barricade but uh <laughs> gave me a nice big smile that we stole we, we <laughs> then we followed with, with yeah, his, his we followed his, his motorcade his motorcade well, out. His barricade, his <laughs> motorcade. <laughs> not barricade yeah motorcade <laughs> Wait, he has a motorcade <laughs> well it was just yeah, from a festival so there's oh, like, to get out a couple oh, cops okay. Okay. and a couple okay. cars but, okay yeah. it's not like a like a presidential no, procession no, no, no. when no, he comes no, no. into the thing <laughs> I don't know how well I want to get to know them, though. I, I you know, there's, there's, that. That, there's that thing of, you know, don't meet your idols. Yeah. And if I don't have Soundgarden to listen to, I'm out. I got nothing. I can <laughs> tell you that that is a valid and legit, oh, my God. Somebody get security in here. Are you kidding me? Get him out of here. We're trying to be professional. I got a real band, not not this guy in here. Oof, that was a hard hit. That was hit. a hard hit. What, how, who let him in the building? He turned the corner and he's standing there. Snake from Skid Row, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> how are you, man? Your voice sounds like a fart. Yeah. Well, thank you. My lawyer will call your lawyer in a second. <laughs> oh, and he's back. He is back. That's a jersey. That's some that's, tough. Well, that, yeah, that that's, that's Jersey right yeah. there. We're from Jersey, and there he is. That's, that's not a love punch. No, no. No, that was a, that was a hate love punch. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, that's Snake from Skid Row yeah. punch. They did a, Skid Row once did a, whole home vi- uh, did a home video where they went around and, uh, and literally on tour took turns when no one was looking, punching each other in the balls. Like, Oof. for real. Oof. Like, real. It's on the video. They have a video called Roadkill from, like, 92 or something. I will find he'll it. just be in a plane and they'll be standing in there and he'll just go up to the other guitar player and <laughs> and they just sit there and laugh. Yeah, they're they're like the human Beavis and Butthead. Sure. Yeah. yeah. We have, we have That's a... the guy that wrote 18 in Life, by the way, and I remember you. <laughs> for real. For real. So there you Great go. Great song. He goes around and punches yeah. people in the shoulders and balls. What is Snake doing? What was the, what was that? That was so unprofessional. Like I was ever professional in my life. You know, so wait, what, rock what? and roll's a professional. I know. <laughs> professional state. <laughs> Only in my world am I sitting here talking to the pretty reckless and Snake from Skid Row comes and punches me in the arm twice. Hard. It, hard, hard. In hard. the middle of the interview. <laughs> like I don't know. The thud you heard was a real thud. Like yeah, that was. It was. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I didn't see it coming either. I would just decked him in the mouth <laughs> let's take a break and recover from snake being in here and then we'll come back and we'll take the call uh some calls for for you guys ben and taylor from the pretty reckless are here the new album who you selling for is out there right now tour starts again tomorrow in boston for a whole run of dates including rocklahoma which i'm looking forward to being out and hosting and uh, should be a lot of fun Soundgarden on that one as well exactly and we'll come back and we'll talk to you guys and uh and we'll finish up with the uh the show for today stick around this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, so you guys watching Alone? Haven't you heard? Alone, it's back with a crazy new twist. And being together never felt so alone. Fourth season of Alone. This time the rules have changed. Ten hardcore survivalists have been dropped off into the unforgiving wilderness, but that is where the similarities with the previous seasons end. Ten participants, they are comprised of five competing teams, and these competitors are split apart and dropped off as individuals, equipped with uh, their ten items, five each. At stake is $500,000 awarded to the team that can last the longest, and this season... They are back in North Vancouver Island where the threat of predators is fiercer than last season and the weather is the harshest they've seen yet. We're talking endurance. We're talking survival. We're talking the human spirit. We're talking Mother Nature. 
It's shocking. It's tense. It's in the wilderness. It's all sorts of great stuff. You got to see it alone. It is killer. It's a really, really great show, and it's a, it's amazing to watch what these guys go through and what they endure. Tune in for all new episodes of Alone, Thursdays, 10, 9 central on History. Have you heard Spike's Car Radio? It's comedian, actor, writer Spike Ferriston sitting on the porch in Malibu talking with some cool people about cool cars and life in general. My first guest is Jerry Seinfeld. He's right here. He was all right. Don't try to hug him. Chris Hardwick. I could feel everything on the road. I mean, it was right. basically like, it was like unprotected sex for driving. Could... <laughs> Jeremy Piven. I, you know what? I think you and Jerry are spiritually tied to cars, <laughs> and I respect it and I love it, but I don't quite get it yet, but I want to get it. Download new episodes of Spike's Car Radio every Wednesday on the Podcast One app, or save time and subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or at PodcastOne.com. This, this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Uh, we have a few more minutes left. Well, till the top of the hour, it's about 15 minutes left to go here as we continue spending some time with Taylor Momsen and Ben Phillips of The Pretty Reckless who are getting ready to go out on tour. Amber in Florida wanted to get on the air and say hello. Hi, Amber. You're on the air. What's going on? Hey. Um, what's up? Hey. 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 Oh, my gosh. I'm such a huge fan. Um, I've been following you since 2010, and... I'm about to see you at Welcome to Rockville for the sixth time, I believe. Oh, amazing. Thank you. Um, I wanted to know um, if you were going to put out, like, the Latin lyrics to Hangman um, in in Latin. That is a good question. Um, I am sure at some point that that will... You promised you would. So. I promised I would. I'm not sure <laughs> when yet, but uh, but I've, I, I'm good at keeping promises, so yes, at some point. <laughs> okay. Um, are you going to do meet and greet at Welcome to Rockville? We don't know. <laughs> we have no we idea. We actually schedule, don't know. <laughs> our schedule is crazy, so we don't know. We hope so, and uh, and if we do, come. Yeah, please those come. Are, those are kind of dictated to more or less by the venues, right? We yeah. do the festivals, too. You don't really know. It's up to them if they want you to do one and with who and, and how. I know that can be quite a, it is, it is. Quite hey, a messy thing at The times. scheduling always gets a little convoluted at festivals. You know, so many bands and times and <laughs> plus plus if it's if the festival that Soundgarden's on and i don't know if they're on that one taylor is going to be way too busy being fangirl <laughs> that is be true a, what happens what happens to you if you're up there doing your show and off in the wings you look to the right and there's chris cornell with his arms folded watching you sing uh, uh, are you going to be able to handle that? Well, this that? has happened to us before. Oh, it's happened to us before. Happened. Well, not, yeah. not, not with Chris, Chris Cornell, Cornell, but this but has happened. But she's also a huge... Oasis fan, and I t- uh, we were playing with uh, we were playing Oasis I... and the Foo Fighters. And the Foo Fighters. And, and we're Foo Fighters fans. Foo Fighters fans as well. And I turn to my left, and there's Dave Grohl, Taylor Hawkins, Liam Gallagher... Pat Smear. Pat Smear. And I think that was it. I think that was it and some of their friends. And but right uh, there, they're right just there. like right there in your face. So that was a it was a moment of oh shit. Okay. And uh keep playing and, and ignore it. Luckily I'm a little blind. Um 
honestly, I can't really see it in my left eye very well, so I just ignored the left side of the stage and like kept going with the with set. Blinders on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're not there watching. They're not because that's another thing that happens in the festival settings is you you've got those big stages and you've always can look to your right and left and you know, there's a lot of people from other bands that mm-hmm. wander up there to watch some of the set before they play and all that. So I know it can sometimes be a, a bit distracting, especially if it's somebody that you know, you're a fan of. Of course. Right? Did you ever get to see Oasis play live? I never got to see Oasis. We did see BDI. Uh, we played we a few played shows with, we with played BDI. played a few shows yeah. with BDI, but uh, you saw Oasis. I've seen Oasis. Wait, now what is BDI? Oh, BDI, that's that's Noel's... Liam. Liam's. Liam's band. Noel's is High Flying Birds. I don't know if either I of don't them exist BDI, anymore. I think I saw a live video shot of them somewhere. And I don't know... I always get them confused of the, of the bands, sure. but... Yeah, be, they were good. They, they were both good. From they're all they're slick good, British, they're... good, very good. They're rightfully so. Yeah, are big bands. I'm just waiting for the Oasis reunions. So Oasis... I can get my other dream concert. Yeah. Oasis <laughs> was big for. They, they were good. Yeah, they were big they're for good. a reason. Do you think there's a? You think there will be a reunion? You think those guys can get it together? I think that at the end, I don't know if there'll be a reunion, but you know, family's family at the end of the day. Yeah. They're brothers, and they'll get a whole bunch of money. Yeah, they will. <laughs> yeah, just, absolutely. Just hold out until the money's just right. <laughs> how is uh, how you know you guys have been together for a while, and I'm wondering like the dynamic within your band. It it seems very family. It seems like very close knit. But you you know Ben, and obviously everybody else in the band knows that. No matter what band you're in, the attention always goes to the lead singer, especially when the lead singer in this case is Taylor. So, how has everybody dealt with that? How has everybody sort of, you know, it's it, the, the it, you said you you said Taylor, you wanted this very much to be a band. It could have been a solo thing from the get go, mm-hmm. and you wanted it to be a band. But now that this is progressing it and getting bigger, and the magazine covers are coming out and everything like that, that there's the focus is always goes to singers regardless. How has the dynamic been in the band? Is everybody kind of cool with that? Does everybody get, you know, as much as you maybe want to present it as a band that it's coming back around to you? Yeah, I mean, I think that, like you you already said it, that the the focus tends to always go to, you know, as, as great as the edge is, everyone knows who Bono is, right. you know. So it, there's there's always the the attention's going to go to the the front person of the band. You two is probably a bad person. band to pick. Well, for a bad example. Like, who's but... the bass player for Pearl Jam would be a better thing, and they play stadiums. Okay, there's a better example, but I'm still, but still, there's all, the attention's always going to the the front person, which is understandable, and I think that everyone in this band knows that and. There hasn't really been. I don't think any anyone, issues. including really, you. I don't really. We don't really think of it until we get asked about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think stardom is something that anyone thinks about. Or Everyone's even, trying to. Play. Or even really just, or even pursues. It's just we just want to play music and make it as good as we possibly can. But you know, all of you guys know that around you, it's. I mean, yeah. I mean, each record, it's it's getting bigger and bigger. Each record, you're getting out on festivals. Each record, you have more and more people excited to meet you and try to see you. Just like Amber, who just called, can you know? Can we see you? Can we meet you? I mean, I'm sure Taylor, you from your acting days probably got a dose of that really early on. So in a way, that's probably helping you a little bit. You know, there's there's probably nothing that the music industry is going to be able to throw at you that you haven't seen coming out of the acting business. I would think. Um. They're very different worlds, uh, acting and music. I mean, yes, they're both entertainment, but they're—I don't know—without getting specific, because I, think I can't think. Fanship. Oh like, well, in fanship, I think that 
it's it's certainly more rewarding to be recognized for music. If someone comes up and goes, "I I love your record," or "I love your song," or you know, that it changed my life. It changed my life, or whatever they say. If it's if it's related to the music, that touches you on a deeper level than, "Hey, I loved you on this television show that you basically had nothing to do with, except you showed up and read your lines." Right. right <laughs> you know, right, so right, right, right. It, it's it's a much more rewarding uh, feeling, and therefore uh, makes it kind of less. Uh, irritating, <laughs> for lack of a better word. I don't know. That's probably not the right word to say. That's pretty but, bad. Uh, word that's a pretty say. bad word to say. Um, but no, it's 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 a it's a it's a giant compliment, opposed to a compliment that is coming from a something that's outside of yourself. If that makes sense. Right. Well, because I don't think I don't think everybody really fully realizes that when it comes to. I mean, fans just look at something you may do on TV or something you may do in a film and, and, and think that that all came from you and that's you, where it was written, as you said, for you to read or something. When you're making a record, that's really your creation. What you're singing came from you. The words you're saying came from you. Yeah. In most cases, in some instances, people have songwriters. Yes. Yeah. They have not, nothing to do with what they're doing. Not in our case, but not yes. Not in your case, <laughs> right. What you're doing is real. But but yeah, it's it's you know it's an overused word, but it's much more organically what you're... What you're 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 bringing you're you're pre- the whole product is you. Yes. Everything that you're presenting is you to, yes. from top down. So creatively, it's a very different thing. I would think massively different. I yeah. mean, there's no comparison. They're completely different worlds. Is there any side of you that misses acting? No. Well, that's <laughs> a quick answer. Yeah. That's a quick no. No. No interest in ever going back to it. It would have to be a miracle project that I couldn't say no to. But no. Do people make you offers still? Yes. So they're, they're, it's like the Godfather Three, out, and they keep trying to pull. They me keep back trying in. to pull me back in, but no. no she just keeps saying, "How many number ones do I have to have before, before they people s- stop asking me about acting?" acting. Yeah. <laughs> and and what is the, um, you know, I think it's really cool that in rock right now we have a ton of of female fronted bands. I mean, there's a mm-hmm. lot of them out there now. Um, even in the music business side of things, when you go out on the road, there's a lot of female tour managers. There's mm-hmm. people working. I, I mean, see, being having done this a long time, there's more than there's ever been. But for you, from the standpoint of what you do as a singer, were there people that you modeled yourself after the, in, in terms of being a female vocalist? Were there vocalists you liked that were female? Or was it just it didn't matter it was all about the stuff you liked in the classic rock world yeah it didn't really matter i mean obviously there's some amazing female vocalists i mean janice joplin shale crow's amazing uh uh grace slick's awesome i mean this I could, the list goes on and on i was a big garbage fan growing up so there's a lot of uh female vocalists that are amazing but in all honesty my role models came from men i mean it was the beatles led zeppelin the who pink floyd uh soundgarden nirvana uh, the doors. I mean, the list goes on and on. But I, I emulated men more than I did women, even though there's a, a plethora of amazing female musicians. Yeah, because I, I had Nancy Wilson from Heart on here not too long ago. Amazing. Yeah, and I was talking to her about that, and I said, "When you started," she said, "When when we started, it's like there wasn't even anyway, like yeah. there was nobody. Yeah. It was like we were looked at like with." We had three heads. Like yeah. you're doing what? Two 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 sisters in a in a rock band. It's mm-hmm. like not even comprehensible to people but now and i'm sure you're conscious conscious of this i mean you you have an impact on female rock fans i mean they're you're an influence to them now and you're 
you know, it's passing right down the line. I think it's really cool. I mean, I, when I go to these festivals and when I, I'll be at Rock Loam in a few weeks and I'll watch you play and I'll look out in the crowd and I'll be like, you know, you can see there's a there's a bond. People don't, even though it's much more prominent, you still don't see it as much as as you would, you know, all male all male bands. So it's got to feel good that you're you're. It does. It's cool. It's it's a it's a strange feeling because I don't really look at it like that. You know, I I see it just as a good song's a good song, and if we can entertain them, we entertain. But but it 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 does exist, and it, and when you take I'm sure a step, you hear it from a lot of you girls, do, right? and when you, you absolutely do, and yeah. when you take a step back and look at it from you know an outside perspective, it's it's very cool to uh, to realize that you know maybe I'm influencing girls to want to pick up a guitar or to you know emote in some way that can help them yeah well listen uh, i think they're telling me i think we're getting close to having to wrap up we got two minutes left to go all right well let's mention one more time the album which is out and uh, available right now who you selling for the tour which starts tomorrow go to the pretty reckless.com to find a date and you start in boston i know in New Jersey, where I live, you're at the Starland Ballroom coming up soon with a headline date. Yeah, we are. So you've got those dates, and then of course the um, the the, the pretty <laughs> reckless opening for Soundgarden. I know. We never thought we'd see the day. <laughs> like you've got to get that poster. For that was that a good show. call. From it's a great poster too. And oh, yeah, the, there's one you've got it already. Yeah. It's when awesome. the agent called, he was super happy. You know, yeah, he he knew he was calling with a good one. It's not a buy on, right? <laughs> Just no. because nope. she wants no. to do it. No. <laughs> nope. 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 Those days are over. Yeah, those yeah. days are over. Did you do some Luckily. of that stuff back in the day? I don't think we did, but uh, I'm, it happens. So In some of your failed bands? Did <laughs> yeah, you sure. Done? I, I didn't, actually. I've never been a buy I don't band. think we've ever bought on anything. No. No. Well, two interviews for you back-to-back there on the Eddie Trunk Podcast, both, of course, surrounding some true tragedies in the world of rock. You just heard from Taylor Momsen, and Ben Phillips of The Pretty Reckless as they were extremely excited to get ready to go out on the road opening shows for Soundgarden. And again, we all know how that ended with The Pretty Reckless being the final band to ever open a show for Soundgarden and that uh, that night in Detroit where Chris Cornell would indeed take his own life. And then earlier, Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park who did the same thing last Thursday on Chris Cornell's birthday. Just incredible. Two enormous losses and very, very sad news is, uh, news to uh, to think about. And as you heard in the interview with Chester, I mean, he seemed like he was in a great place. So very shocking and very sad. Again, thank you guys for listening. New episodes every Thursday. EddieTrunk.com is the website. At Eddie Trunk on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks to Katie for producing, as always. Listen to me on Sirius XM 106 volume every day, Monday to Friday. Talk and rock with you live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. Replay every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. You can also grab it on demand anytime you want on the Sirius XM app. And that is where most of the interviews you hear on the Eddie Trunk podcast originated from. You guys have a great week. I'll see you next Thursday for another all-new episode. Thanks for listening.
Caitlin Bristow, you can listen to my show, Off the Vine with Caitlin Bristow, every Tuesday on Podcast One. Hear me take on taboo topics and unfiltered advice. I'll also be dishing with some amazing celebrities. Oh, and did I mention there'll be wine? So grab a glass and join me every Tuesday on PodcastOne.com, the new Podcast One app, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music field trip to America's jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com.